Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. I am back in my studio, which is really just my bedroom, after a few weeks of recording on the road. So it was fun to be in Virginia. I'll talk a little bit about that and then in the coming weeks, as well as you can read about it on the on the website. But it was also fun to hear from folks in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, as I mentioned, places that I was, places that I was fishing in. And it's always fun to hear from folks that are having overlapping experiences. In fly fishing, we have so many overlapping experiences, like that Venn diagram is is like almost eclipsing it. But when you are in the same places, then that adds uh, more commonality. And that's always fun, too. You know, uh, hopefully we're all past the point where we're feeling territorial and we don't like it that someone else is fishing in the same place that we fish. And most people that I talk to, uh, either in person or online, get excited uh, when when they hear I'm fishing where where they're fishing, and I when I hear that I'm fishing where they're fishing as well. So back here, and uh, I am going to be talking about storing fly fishing gear today. So I recorded an episode on this back in March. I think it was episode 174. So you can go check that out for some more fly fishing gear storage tips and ideas. But we're in the summertime. This is being recorded in July. And so things are a little bit different, more fishing, different kinds of fishing. Uh, and so it's brought more things to mind. And there was actually some things that I had to leave on the table and off of the podcast last time that I'll bring up. So there'll be a little bit of overlap because conceptually, a lot of it's the same. It's taking care of your gear, not because gear is the end all be all of fly fishing, but for a few reasons. First and foremost, if we are concerned about resources, if we are concerned about being good stewards of our th- environment and all of the things that are part of the environment, then the last thing we want is rods and waders and tippet and line in landfills or, you know, being being incinerated, right? So if that's the case, then we want to take care of our stuff. Similarly, we want to be good stewards of our financial resources. So I know some folks that have no problem with blowing through a pair of waders every season. I can't wrap my mind around that, especially if you get, you know, mid-grade waders, which run $350 to $400. Um, I mean, I have some really old bottom-of-the-line waders that are taped up that have all sorts of UV sealant all over them and they still work great. They've been relegated to like my early season duck hunting waders, but they are very, very old. I have some mid-grade waders and I have some high-end waders that I use and I just can't imagine saying, you know what? 
I don't have the time to walk around this briar patch because I want to fish right now, so I'm going to plow through it. You know, to, who cares about what happens to these waders? I'll just buy a new pair. But there's some folks that kind of have that mentality, and I guess I can't really criticize them for that in the sense that I don't think it is really my place to criticize how someone spends their money, especially because I've advocated spending a lot of money on fly line. Uh, that I have voiced my opinion strongly that we shouldn't judge people for buying $100 nippers because it's their money. They can do what they want to do with it. But I think kind of holistically, uh, it's very easy to take care of gear and it demonstrates a pride of ownership. It demonstrates a, a respect of your personal resources as well as kind of how they impact resources globally. So I guess that is one of the reasons why I think it's wise to take care of your gear. And also, you know, gear matters because it, it, it makes fishing possible. So the higher care that you give to your gear, the better it's going to perform for you. So uh, this could work a few different ways. If you have low end gear that you really take care of, I mean, you make sure that line is clean. You make sure that those guides are lined up straight on that rod. You make sure that those those boots are dried out completely between uses. Um, they're going to last you a long time and they're going to give you less fuss and less problems than if you have really high end gear that you just kind of throw in the back of your car and expect to perform time and time again because you paid a lot of money for it. You know, it's kind of the ounce of prevention equals a pound of cure uh, equation. So what does that look like? What's a practical example of that? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind, especially as fishing becomes a lot more common for a lot of us multiple times a week, or at least just having stuff uh, available in the back of our car for a spontaneous fishing trip at any moment's notice, is leaving your rod strung up. I'm sure that there's been various contexts where I've talked about this, where I know that some folks that I am familiar with that are rod makers, that sell fly rods, are really anti-keeping your rod together. Um, they said they've been designed to come apart, to allow those male and female ferals to dry out, to make sure that those are clean, uh, that you're going to have a rod that survives longer if it is not only broken apart, but kept in that case. And I would agree 100%. But practically, there's times where I'm fishing all day and I'm planning on fishing first thing in the morning. I'm just not going to break down that rod. There's times where I'm going to break it down. But there's also times where I'm going to leave that thing strung up in the back of my car and in my little Mazda 5 hatchback that uh, that it's going to be strung over the back seat and over the front seat and that rod tip is going to be bouncing around underneath my rear view mirror as I drive around. And when I get ready to fish, I stop. And I pull it out and I start fishing. So how do you maintain your rod and your reel in that situation? Uh, and I would say your line by extension. So a few things that I think are essential. First and foremost, have a reel case. Something that I mentioned in the last Gear Care podcast is that one of the easiest ways to maintain the integrity of your gear is to cover your gear. So it is in the 90s here in New England this week which means that if my car is parked in the sun, it's probably going to be well over 100 degrees on the inside, even if I crack those windows. And so what happens, and probably the most susceptible part of the entire equation when it comes to your gear, your, your terminal gear, is your clothing style stuff, so waders and boots, but then your fly line. 
Um, and, and I would say, you know, your, your knots and just other things that have epoxies and stuff in that. They have a really high tolerance. I'm not saying this stuff is going to fall apart and disintegrate 125 degrees in, in the, in the direct sunlight, but prolonged exposure to this can be problematic. So one of the quickest ways to take care of that is to cover it. Um, it's just like having something in a cooler or having something under a blanket. I mentioned that in the last podcast, I have a blanket in the back of my car that I'll throw over my stuff if I know it's going to be incredibly hot. And that provides just a few more hours of insulation and that stuff will be much cooler uh, i mean the same thing is true like if i have my cell phone i leave it in my car or my laptop i leave it in my car i'll cover it up and it stays so much cooler underneath those things underneath like the, the blanket folded up than if i just left it on my on my seat so a real cover or excuse me a real case will do that so i like to carry real cases that go over not just my reel but then fold up and over my real seat so assuming that my reel to my reel seat is a clean connection. So I didn't drop it in the water uh, and their gunk or moisture got in between my reel foot and my reel seat. And the same thing to be said with my ferals, the male female ferals, it wasn't, uh, you know, super rainy out. I didn't drop it in the water. Uh, assuming all that is as dry as I can reasonably assume, then I'm going to cover up that reel with my reel case. And I am going to also utilize a product that I think is really cool. It is not a, a savior by any stretch of the imagination, but it is incredibly helpful. A couple companies make them. I know that Scientific Anglers puts one out. I've got one of theirs. And then Loon Outdoors has some uh, that are really, really cool also. And they are these rod socks, but not the kind of rod sock that uh, you you get inside of a rod tube when you buy a fly rod, and not even a rod sock that is just a long cloth tube. Uh, They're made out of a nylon material that is just a tightly woven material that expands very easily. So what you're able to do is uncoil it. It kind of snakes up and gets to be about the size of, of like a reel. But it as you run your rod tip, into this sock or this sleeve, then it just uncoils and slides all the way down. And they have some for two piece rods, three piece rods, and then one piece rods, which are really cool. And then at the very end of it, as that uh, terminal end, the the open end hits about where your reel is, there's a little bungee cord and that goes uh, over the rod butt and kind of is held in place uh, by either your real case or where your your real foot touches your real seat. Now, this is nice for a few reasons. One, it does provide a little bit of coverage, as I just talked about earlier, but it also protects your rod tip. So it adds some stability and adds some thickness to the the you know the, the top half of your fly rod, which is the most susceptible. It also protects your guides. And out of all of the rod damage I've had over years and years of fishing, both fly fishing and conventional gear, I have damaged more guides than I have blanks. So I have snapped guides more than I've snapped tips. Uh, I have bent guides more than I have damaged uh, blanks or, or any other part of the fly rod. And and that comes from things getting pinched. That comes from from guides getting snagged and then me pulling, not knowing they're stuck on something, uh, things getting bent. And so this protects against that. It also covers not just your rod, but also any line, leader, and tippet that might be coming off of your reel, run through your guides, run back down as your fly is attached to your hook keeper. Or if you don't have a hook keeper, like I know some rods don't, 
just somewhere on your reel. So these are really cool products. Now, do you have to spend the five or ten dollars to buy one of these branded ones? No. Could you make something out of a nine foot piece of cloth that you double over and sew? Absolutely. And I would say go for it. I would. I think that's a great idea. If you have the capacity to do that, then that's awesome. And I would say that that's a, a great idea. The nice thing about those nylon ones is that they are breathable. Uh, they they have holes in them. They're they're perforated the whole way down. And but you could make something like that too. But what that does is it keeps your rod protected when you are leaving it in kind of a vulnerable situation. The next thing is something I mentioned earlier. One of the things that can fail the most is uh, boots uh, and, and waders. So I would say that the one piece of gear I've replaced more in all of my time fly fishing is my wading boots. And I've gotten to a place now where I don't think I've had a pair fail on me for something that I did. Uh, I had a, a pair that the uh, the um, the lace eyes, they rusted up like super duper fast, but the company said, yeah, that was a, uh, a problem that we noticed. And so they replaced them, uh, just no charge. So good on your corkers. Um, and I've, I've not had a problem with my, my new corkers that I've had for like three or four years, but that's the only pair that's died on me in the last like six or seven years. And again, they, they knew that that was something wrong with that particular model or that particular boot, but I've got one, two, three, main pairs of waiting boots, then a couple of pairs of waiting shoes that are downstairs right now. And they've all lasted a while. Now you could say it's because I have, you know, five pairs of shoes that I rotate through. But I think it has to do with the fact that I am a big proponent of rinsing and drying, rinsing and drying. So this is true for not just waiting boots, but anything that is fabric and that gets exposed uh, to to a lot of moisture. So if you have a waiting jacket, if you have a pair of waders, if you have a pair of gloves, if you have a pair of waiting socks, uh, this I think is true for these items also. But I'm going to apply it particularly to waiting boots because I know that a lot of people have had a lot of failures with them, whether it be the uh, uh, again, the, the, the lace eyes, I don't know why I'm struggling with that idea. But you know, they, they come in different styles. And I'm sure there's a much more technical word for for boots. But whether it be not just the hole um, that goes through the the body of your boot that you run your your lace through, but it's also the kind of the the bigger grommet style ones that pop off. Man, I'm sure there's a word for it, but you know this is this is what you get when you don't uh, take notes. But all that to say, that stuff will fail. Uh, soles will separate. Um, you'll have the finish come off because all these things are multi-layer uh, of, of, of fabric and different materials for cushion and whatnot. All that stuff can fail in different ways. And the primary reason for it happening is not because you kicked a rock, is not because you stepped on something sharp. It's because all of those uh, um, epoxies and all of those different sealants and even some of the, the different seams that uh, that hold things together because they're made of different materials, that is going to degrade. And the primary reason for it degrading is because it got wet and it stayed wet and then it got hot or that it, uh, it got used again before it uh, had a chance to get cleaned or that there was some like, mud caked on it and that mud maintained that moisture underneath it. And you think these are supposed to be muddy. They're supposed to be wet. Yes, that's true, but they're not supposed to stay muddy and they're not supposed to stay wet. Um, that's why guides stuff breaks down, I think, a lot faster. It's not because they're using it a lot. It's because it's being used a lot. And the difference between that is it, it's not that they're using it every day. It's they're using it every day and it's staying in a used state. So it's not just that it's that eight hours on the river. It's it's on the eight hours of river staying wet all night and then eight hours again the next day for week after week after week. So here's what I like to do. 
one, if you can have multiple pairs, and that's great because you can rotate through. But if that's not your situation, then rinse your stuff off. Get debris out of the inside. Get debris out of the outside. Get mud off of things. Try to spray it off with a hose or even just rinse, you know, run it under a faucet and scrub it. Now, this also accomplishes something that we haven't talked about for a while. And have you noticed this? This is, I won't get on, you know, a hobby horse with this, but, you know, you haven't talked about, we haven't talked about transporting micro uh, biological matter from stream to stream. Like that's become less of a, a thing to talk about. It's left the news. It's not because it's not a problem anymore. It's just because it's, there's other things that we're supposed to be focusing on. But, I digress. Using some sort of brush that for a while came with every pair of wading boots that you bought to scrub things um, down and scrub things clean will not only get rid of those potential contaminants, but they will get all that debris that can lead to grit. And and grit is another thing that can cause problems. I've had, uh, again, the, the eyelets for these boots have have come loose or that they have popped off because grit has gotten underneath them and then when you go to tighten your boots it uh it basically acts as a little fulcrum and it pops that little eyelet right out of your your boots so scrub them down rinse them off getting the grit out of the inside will also protect the integrity of the inside of that boot but then also the stocking foot of your waiter or if you're waiting wet waiting the integrity of the bottom of your foot and then let it dry. Uh, let it dry in the sun for a little bit, but not for too long. So I usually like uh, the next day, I'll let it, I'll rinse it off, let it sit in the sun. And then like that afternoon, throw it in the shade and just let it dry. If you really are fancy and you have a dehumidifier going somewhere in your house, throw it right there and allow it to dry off that way. But I have found that gear will really respond well, particularly fabric based gear will really respond well if you clean it, if you rinse it, and if you allow it to dry. That's not always possible. But again, if it's a couple of weeks of it staying wet because you're on a fishing trip or because you're just fishing all the time, it's not going to kill it. But again, that's probably the exception for most of us who aren't guides uh, and, and not the rule. So I talked about rod storage while rods are put together. I talked about making sure everything is scrubbed and rinsed and dried as far as fabric gear goes the third one i wanted to mention is just check yourself check yourself i mean check your gear so recently i opened up a drawer and i found that there was a spider web on some of my gear i thought well i don't think that's going to be a problem and it wasn't um and in fact that was probably a good thing because if there was some other bug in there then that spider would have taken care of it for me if that was a, a bug that would you know chew on on a fly or something like that but it's happened before where i have found that there was some moisture in some stuff and i talked about that a lot on the previous gear storage podcast uh there was one time where i did find that there was some some sort of beetle had gotten into a fly box and if that had gone unchecked and it had persisted for the entirety of the season, or if it was in a climate-controlled situation, it's something that could have persisted for you know, even longer, then it could have been problematic. So I'm not saying that you need to work into your weekly schedule, a time where you open every fly box, you spin every reel, you open every rod tube, and you inspect stuff, but just kind of pay attention to what's going on. Look around, see what's what's going on where you are. This could be the difference between, you know, a critter building a nest in a boot and using your nest for a or using your boot for a nest. Uh, if you catch it early on and you've moved it, you've disturbed it. That's not the kind of place where a rodent or a reptile or an insect is going to want to hang out. 
uh, recently I was arranging, rearranging stuff in the garage and I moved a pair of waiters that I had used very recently. I moved a couple pair of waiters that I had used last fall. And then I moved a pair of waiters that I hadn't touched probably since last summer. And the other ones were totally clean, except for, you know, little bits of, of, of filth here and there just from uh, use. But that last pair that I hadn't touched in, in I don't know how long, just spider webs all over the back of it and uh, some, I mean, some other kind of bug debris. And it got me thinking, like, why didn't I just move this? Why didn't I at least give it an, a, a, a once over as I was passing by it countless times? And thankfully, it looks like there was no damage. You know, nothing chewed on it. Nothing uh, put some sort of bug fluid on it that was going to degrade the integrity of that pair of waders. But it just got me thinking, okay, I... I do this inside with my inside gear. And part of it is just like I just like touching stuff. But in doing so, you are making sure that your stuff is in good shape. You're making sure that there wasn't a bottle of floatant that got left open and it was slowly seeping through your vest into your other stuff. You're making sure that you didn't leave an energy bar in your uh, your your pocket of your waders and it was starting to fester and mold. Uh, if you've ever found something like that, you know it is... It is a situation that you wish you could have had to do all over again, and you wouldn't have left that food in there. Uh, so just take a look at stuff, a visual inspection, quickly run your hands through things, make sure everything's okay. And you might find something that you you had lost, or you obviously if you found it, you hadn't lost it, but you didn't know where it was. Uh, you might see something that, you know, you probably don't need that anymore, and you can give it to your fishing buddy. Uh, you can just ensure that there's not some catastrophic situation happening that uh, that you are going to leave to to its own devices for a longer period of time because you didn't catch it in time. So three more things. Uh, like I said, three other tips in episode 174, talking a little bit about rod storage for keeping your rods together, talking about stuff that gets wet, and thirdly, talking about just doing general checking on your equipment. And if that happens, then your gear, whether it be high-end gear or whether it be less expensive gear, is going to last you a lot longer and it's going to perform better for you on the water. So if you have any tips, if you have any things that you'd like to share, I know this people wrote in last time with some great ideas regarding desiccant packets and some other stuff for maintaining a good climate in your gear. If you have anything like that, then please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to hear about it and uh, potentially include it in an upcoming podcast or article. This week on castingacross.com, the first article is called, and there's only one fish pick, and there's only one fish pick. So I used to do like these articles, really wasn't an article, it was really just content, um, when I would go fishing, where later that day, whether it be like lunchtime or in the afternoon, I would just throw five or six pictures up, and that was it, without comment. And it was just kind of a visual story of my day on the water. I stopped doing those because I didn't get a lot of traffic, but I think I think they were kind of cool. I'm not the kind of guy that says, this is my day. I went and did this, and then I went and did this, and then I saw this, and I caught this fish. That's just not the kind of content that you're going to find on Casting Across. Nothing wrong with it. It's just not my cup of tea. But this article is kind of like that, only I integrated a little bit of commentary uh, in it, and it just walks through a morning on a Shenandoah mountain stream. Wednesday's article was called, 
bad habits in the same streams, bad habits in the same streams. So if you've listened to the podcast or you've read the website for any period of time, you know that I am a big advocate of trying new water, of exploring, of, of finding new streams. And while I absolutely believe that and I absolutely practice that, there's a lot of times where I just default back to the same old rivers. And so in this article, I talk about how I did try something new in a spontaneous manner, and it was something new, but it was something incredibly familiar. So as new as it was, there was a lot of sameness, and that's something that I think should encourage you if you do struggle to get out and try something new. So check that out, um, Bad Habits and Same Streams. This week's recommendation on the podcast is something that I have already mentioned from Loon Outdoors. It's called the Quick Draw Rod Sleeve. The Quick Draw Rod Sleeve. It comes in three sizes. There's the single hand, so a normal traditional fly rod for a full rod, one for a half rod, so broken down, and then one for a two hand rod broken in half. They retail for $13. $13. That's like the price of a, of a, a value meal at a fast food restaurant these days. I remember when you can get a value meal from a fast food restaurant for like four and a half dollars. Anyway, quick draw rod sleeve comes in yellow and black. Those, uh, you know, easy to identify loon colors, kind of a, a plaid design. And it's precisely what I was talking about in the first portion of the podcast. It's a great little product if you leave your rod together. If you have a boat you can or, or a canoe, this is a, a great thing to add just a little bit more protection, but at the same time, it's not feasible to have your rod broken down before you, you get on the water. So this is a great, inexpensive tool that you can use to keep your gear at hand, but also a little more protected than if it wasn't wrapped up in this. I would say this would be a great thing too if you are walking for a prolonged period of time. Uh, this would keep your like rod tip and how it goes from rod tip to like line or leader and it creates that little loop that could get stuck in branches or brush, this would completely eliminate that from happening. So I've got a couple of them. I think they're great little products, definitely worth $13 uh, to just mess around with. Uh, if you don't end up using it a lot, uh, then, then you have it for if you might need it. But I think you'll find a lot of uses for it if you do end up getting one. You can find a link to the Loon Quick Draw Rod Sleeve on this podcast's page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, place, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.